If we have our Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning still. And uh, looking forward to preaching this morning on this passage. Some questions should be up on the screen now, so if you want to go ahead and get those uh, written down and, and, and ready to go for, uh, for interaction during the sermon time, as well as the, the preparation for our, our response together uh, to the preaching of the Word. And so I encourage you to, to write those down. And I'll try not to get in the way too much of, of you being able to, to, see those, uh, to see those questions. Everything done right. Nobody, nobody ever told me. Um, nobody ever told me that that being a Christian would be easy. Um, but on the other hand, I was, <clears throat> I was never told. I was never told to look or taught to look for strength. And I'm talking about the beginning stages is when I became a believer in Christ and followed Him and the Lord radically transformed me and saved me. Um, no one ever told me, so no one lied to me and gave me a, a false gospel that, that being a Christian was going to be easy and being able to live the life of, of victory all the time and, and see great strides and win the lottery and all that stuff. Nobody ever told me that. And, and that's cool, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, but no one ever told me that in the, in the struggles of life, in the, in, in the, in the, in the hard times of, of life, when sin comes, when temptation comes, where, where to go for strength, where, where to go to, to be renewed. And, and every single time I would, I would, I would mention that and, and say something like that to, to an older brother, I, would, I, would, I was asking for help. Please, help, help me understand. Help me to overcome this sin. Help me to overcome this, this temptation. I want to see it rooted out of, my, out, of, out of my life, what I usually got nine times out of ten. And some of y'all might be able to understand is, is we, I got a lot of do's and don'ts. I got, I got to look a lot of do these things. Start, start reading your, your, you know, read your Bible a whole lot more. And, and, and I, got a, I got a lot of that. And, and I got a lot of, you know, God loves you. And, and all those things are awesome, right? I mean, all those things are true, right? We're Christians. We're absolutely, absolutely supposed to be reading our Bible and be in the Word and be find our foundation in the Word. That's what we're building this church upon is upon the Word of God. But I, I tried. I tried. And it still seemed like there was, there was something missing linking me from, from my sin to delighting in the Lord. Delighting in the Lord. On the outside, I was good. On the outside, I was, I was able to make myself look great. I was able to put on the masks and, 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 and be a good Christian and all those things. But on the inside, there was something missing. There was something lacking. And, and a lot of times, a lot of times, I would find myself in such pits of despair. I was miserable. I was a wreck. I was confused. Sin was my master. My feelings and my, de- my desires, what I wanted, was my master. And what I realized was wrong beliefs plus wrong methods led me down the wrong path. 
Now, in our, our, our theme in Ephesians has, has been, and we've, we've kind of we pulled this back every now and then, we kind of pulled the veil back a little bit every now and then, let you see the theme again. And, and the theme is being in Christ. He is taking a church that was steeped in worldliness. Worldliness all around them. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. All, all around them and, and showing them that that's not you anymore. You're, you're in Christ. You have this new identity. It's no longer you. You're not the same anymore. You are now in Christ. And we've been shown some... If, if, if you've been walking through with us in Ephesians, we've been seeing some, some glorious spectacles of God's glory. I'm amazed by, by the, the sovereignty of God. To delight in His good providence. To delight in that. To, lo- to love it. To may not understand the complete mysteries of, of Christ, but yet we know that God has ordained all things and we can trust in Him and love it. And in this theme of being in Christ, we are no longer of the old self, but we are of this new self. Today, our passage shows us that once again, to be in Christ, to be new in Christ, is to resemble Christ, to look like Christ. And so, as I was approaching this passage and, and, and reading it and studying it and meditating it through throughout the week, I, I kept on coming back. Because sometimes the new life, and we, we hear all this, this new life in Christ, but sometimes this new life just doesn't feel so new, does it? It feels like the old clothes in the closet you look at and you're like, I don't want to wear those today. That's all I got clean. It doesn't seem as if there's anything new about you. It makes you wonder, as it was for me, if I've done enough. Doubt entered. Was I sincere in my commitment? Did it mean anything? And this passage this morning shows us, shows us that, I think that that missing link that I was missing, maybe, maybe you're missing, Let's read our passage, starting in verse 17. I'll take a sip of water, but look at verse 17. I pick up my cup, and by about the third time, I pick it up and set it down, not take a drink of water. I really need to take a drink of water. Verse 17. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you've learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus." To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Lord, add to the blessing of the reading of your word this morning. Open our hearts and our eyes to see the beauty, the worth, the food of this word. Amen. So it starts off our passage this morning. It starts off with a pretty strong command, doesn't it? And he puts some authority behind it. Now this I testify in the Lord that you must no longer. Right? It's, it's, a, com- it's a command given in, in authority. To, to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. But to what? But to walk. Not to, not to walk as the Gentiles do, but as we saw earlier in chapter 4, to walk worthy. To walk worthy, in particular, of, the, of your calling that you have been given. That identity of being now in Christ. So, so now we see opposing angles, opposing sides, right? We have, we have the, the, the walk of the Gentile, and we have the, the other side of being in Christ, being set up before us. To no longer walk as the Gentiles do, but to walk in Christ. And so in this passage this morning, and help us make that, that link, I want to I show you how, how the gospel is so essential and helpful for us in not walking like a Gentile, but walking like Christ. That's right. The gospel. The gospel. Because my hope is, my hope is, is that we will, we will see the gospel not only as the good news that saves us, and it absolutely gloriously is, and it is such beautiful good news, but it would be a good news of, of a daily delight. A daily delight that, that moves you to be more like Christ. So you would rely on the, the power of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the promises of the gospel, to be more like Christ. So I see in this passage here a, a way of how the gospel is reminding us and how the gospel restores us. How the gospel reminds us and how the gospel restores us. Now you can look at verses 17 through through 19, and you can see here how it is, how the gospel is reminding us. And, and instantly, when, when I was studying this, and maybe you, when we read it this morning, or maybe you read it previously, you, you want to think back, at least I did, back to Ephesians 2. Back to Ephesians 2. Let's, let's read it back together. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And it sounds so similar. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So remember, right? Don't walk as the Gentiles do. And he goes and he gives us these lists, this, these lists, these prepositions, these lists of, of, of what the Gentiles are doing or, or where they are. And here we see in Ephesians 2, this other angle. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And, when she, and once you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience. Now, we, we've covered that already, and, but, but not to misplace and forget that this is the state of all mankind outside of Christ. Dead. Spiritually dead. You may have life on the outside. Your heart may be beating. You may smile. You may enjoy the Olympics and have a great time. Glory in those things. And, and love and laugh and hurt and have pain. You may have all those things, but if you are not in Christ, you are dead. And here we have this 
eerie reminder once again at this different angle of what spiritual death looks like. And what's interesting too, it seems very possible that the apostle is speaking to a very specific situation in the church. To something very specific. So, imagine the awkward moment. The letter comes in from the Roman mail service. They, they bring the letter when they gather. And here's the letter. And they say, guys, we, we got a letter from Paul. You remember Paul? Absolutely remember Paul. He lived, us, lived for three years. Preached to us, taught us. Brought the gospel to Ephesus. And they've got this letter and they read it. And, they're, and they read the whole thing at once. right? They don't, they don't care about time. They don't care about lunch. They read the whole thing. And they're, they're reading and they're glorying and the God and the goodness of God. And they're going, I'm a Gentile and I'm a let? Are you kidding? That's awesome. And then we get to chapter 4. And he says this. Do not walk in the manner of the Gentiles do. I can imagine there was a kind of awkward pause. And they kind of look at each other and be like, dude, they're talking about you. No, man, they're talking about you. I saw what you did. I know how you're dabbling still in the world. The, the awkward silence that, that they still looked like the Gentiles. Because remember what we saw in chapter 3, they're not like the Gentiles anymore. They've been brought together into one family. New identity. And so here's the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was not a very moral place. But what we would consider a moral place. I'm sure the Romans would consider it a moral place, but we would not consider it a moral place. Very wealthy, lots of money coming in and out of, of Ephesus. And with money and with sinful, wicked hearts, you can imagine... You don't have to imagine. You know what happens. Things get corrupted. Man is corrupted by such things. This city also had the, the famous temple, the temple of, of Artemis. And there, the, uh, the goddess of Artemis, was she, she was the, the goddess of fertility. Right? And in that fertility, the way that they would worship is through temple prostitution. I'm going to keep it PG-13 and stop it right there. You can imagine that that's how they would worship that God. And it was seen highly, that this is like a, 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 a mecca of the, of the Roman Empire. There was also a quarter-mile ring that would go around this temple that if you were a criminal inside of this quarter-mile ring, you could not be arrested. Can you imagine how that would be? Right? Talk about a sanctuary city. And so here is Ephesus. Criminals, sexual deviancy all around. And, and this is the, the culture, if we go back to Acts, we can read this. This is the, the culture by which these people were saved out of. They were, they were saved out of this. Men who participated in the, the, the prostitution, the selling of the, the idols, the criminals of stealing and, and taking over of other people, injustices, as well as maybe former prostitutes becoming a part of the church. This is what they were, were saved out of. This was their lifestyle. This is all that they, they knew. 
And here's Paul saying, that's not you anymore. In Christ, you are going to look catechismically different than everyone else. It's why, it's why when you turn back to Acts, there was such a revolution that took place in Ephesus. Because when, the, when, the, when people became radically changed, they were, they were casting off everything. The economy tanked. That's what you get when you put all your eggs in one basket called uh, making idols. And it tanked. And this is what they were saved out of. Now, we, we, we need to be very careful here because, because now we're, we're kind of thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not an Ephesian. I, I, don't, I don't live in Ephesus and I don't, you know, Statesboro, we're not San Francisco. We're Statesboro. We, we, have, we have morals. We, we have clarity. We have good judgment. We, we can do these things. And, and, and absolutely, on the surface, we, we see that. And, and praise God for that. I think there is a lot of common grace in that area, but let us not give in to the idea that, that just because we live in Statesboro, that darkness is not all around. And there are good, middle-class people who are doing some devilish things. And so we must be careful when we approach these passages. We must be careful. Because what we see here, and I think the warning to them as well as a, a warning to us, as the Gospel reminds us things about sin. It reminds us of what, what sin does. And look at the first one, that sin, sin blinds us. You see how it, it darkened their understanding, the futility of their mind? I mean, they were incapable of understanding. They were devoid of, of any understanding. Remember, this is the state of mankind, Gentile, all this, that we are devoid of understanding. You don't understand. And in the futile of your, of your mind, we cannot understand the life that is found in God. We cannot understand the light. Light came in the world, and the darkness could not comprehend it. And outside of Christ, we, we sin blinds. We see that sin separates, right? Sin, sin separates, sin alienates. We see how, how the gospel in chapter 3 takes the, what was far away, once was alien, now brings it in forward, brings it close. But sin alienates. You know how that feels. You've been, you've been in sin, you, you're far from God. Sin hardens the heart. Oh, let us see how sin hardens the heart. Hardens the heart toward the things of the Lord. Hardens the heart from the, from the truth. Hardens the heart so that we, we cannot see. And it makes us callous. It makes us callous. It deceives us. Sin deceives us. Romans 1 verse 18 says, says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Sin makes us callous. This is, this is the, the effects of the fall. It blinds us, it hardens our heart, it deceives us, and it, and it separates us. Becoming callous to the truth takes us in places where we gratify the flesh. It, it makes us believe, I've had this conversation with a, a, one of my neighbors, it makes us believe that we can get away with things. 
We believe lies. We become callous to the truth. I, I see this here as well because, because look, where it, look where it goes. Callous to the truth. And what it does is it gives having giving themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I think becoming callous to the truth also leads us because what we do is we, we gratify the flesh. Our feelings become our God. Our feelings become, become our God. What we feel becomes our God. And, and if your feelings are your God, you are, you are callous. It's the effects of the fall. The hard heart. You wonder why our world is in the way that it is. Like I already explained to you how things were 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, right? Like we haven't progressed. We just do it with fancier technology. We wonder, well, here, here it is. The fall has affected everything. Man is enslaved. They're blind, they're hard, they're deceived. And, 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 and we have to understand this too. This is another angle that I really want us to see. That, that mankind is, is enslaved to these things. And, and, and also, what you also see on the other side is that is our desire. Like, that's what we want. Like, here's the hardness, the blindness, the enslavement, the alienation, all of that. We want that. You never violate your will. Your free will is always going toward that. Your flesh, even as a Christian, your flesh is always going toward that. It's always going going toward that. So yes, we, we absolutely believe our God is sovereign over all things. But do not use that as an excuse to not take responsibility for your sin. That's being callous. That's being blind. That's the hardness of, of heart. If anybody's will, God's permissive will, has ever been violated, it's God's. Sorry, microphone, sorry. That breaks me. Think about that. So every time we hear the gospel, we hear the gospel taught to us when, and what we've seen in Ephesians and what they've heard when they heard the reading, it, it is reminding us. It's reminding us not only what not to do, but not to, not to be anymore, but it's also reminding you who you're not anymore. That our identity is no longer in what we feel, but it's Christ. I don't know if my wife can hear me out there, but she gave me a great quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones this week. It says, too many people listen to themselves and not enough people are preaching to themselves. We do what we feel. Reminding us of who we're no longer. Because look at verse 20. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Paul, because I know, I was there. That's not the way that you, you learned Christ. That's not the way that you, you heard the gospel. That's not the gospel message that you, you heard. You didn't hear from me, get saved, and then just do whatever you want. You didn't, you didn't hear that anymore. The, the gospel message of grace is not a license to continue in sin. And that, that shows us once again as a, as a church and as a people that that's another reason why we, we must get the gospel right. It's an imperative that we get the gospel message right. 
so many of us, including me, have fallen trapped to, to, to cheap grace. This easy believism. Whether, whether it was intentionally taught or just, or just misguided. I mean, look, we got, we got whole new categories to explain the nominal Christian. Trying to figure it out how, how this happened. People who are not walking in truth, but are walking in the flesh, no resemblance to transformation, but still say, I'm a Christian. And the consequences have been catastrophic for the church. Can, can you see in this passage, I, I know it sounds so negative, but can you see the, the, the merciful reminder here? The, the, the merciful reminder that this isn't who you are anymore? If you're in Christ, this isn't, this isn't who you are anymore? Now, now you, you might have got saved when you were young and you were given in to the outward sensuality and licentiousness and, and, and all of those things. You weren't doing that. Or maybe you even got saved when you were older and you still, you had m- some morality about you and that's, that's great. Praise God for that. That is, that is a grace that you didn't walk through that and have to face the, the consequences of such things. But the same heart that exists in those who do those things is the same heart that exists in you. Because in that lifestyle of even our own self-righteousness, we were still callous toward God. Our hearts were still darkened. We were still blind in our sin because we believed our self-righteousness and our morality is enough to save us or to justify us before before the Lord. So for the Christian to be reminded of this is sweet. It may taste a little bitter going down at first, but it proves great fruit. Because it reminds us not to, not to glory in sin anymore. Not to glory in sin anymore. It reminds us to be thankful and to be grateful. It reminds us to, to depend on grace. That's what the, one of the themes that just run through Ephesians is grace. Talk about it on Wednesday. This grace-driven effort. And all of our effort, all of our action, all of our doing is driven by the grace of God and empowered by the grace of God. It tells us we are dependent upon grace. We're being reminded also lets us have compassion on the lost world. We don't, we don't look at the Ephesians and condemn them. A person who calls himself a Christian and, 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 and says and condemns the world, I don't think they understand the gospel. We don't get that. We have compassion on a lost world, not condemnation. And the reason why is because outside of the grace of God, that's the exact same place you were. No matter how moral. We have compassion on a world. In that way, we're also reminded to love our neighbors. To, to love our neighbors. And I'm meaning literally your neighbor. To love your neighbor and to live the gospel before them and to, and to do intentionally share the gospel with them because you remember where they once were because you were there. And you preached the gospel to them. We're reminded our old self still exists. We're reminded our old self still exists and sin still can blind us, sin still can harden us, and it still can deceive us. 
being reminded is good. It is good. But it's only halfway there. Because the gospel also restores us. Let's look at what Christ did. Let's, let's read verse 23 and 24 again. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The gospel restores. The gospel restores us. Look at this, this, this verb here. Right, to put off. It's actually one word in the Greek. It's one word to, to put off. To, to take off. It's, it's used in, in, in different contexts of, uh, of taking off clothes. And, and as we, we put off this old self, because remember again, we've been reminded that we still can be deceived. We still have this flesh in us that wants to subvert the work of Christ and the gospel. So we're reminded it's always there. And he says to put it off. To take it off. Like, like taking off an old shirt. Like you've been working hard all day, you got sweaty, you got dirty, you're grimy, whatever it is, or in long days, work in the office, whatever it is, it feels good to take those, those clothes off. He says, take them off. Because that belongs to your former manner of life. That former manner of life that is corrupt. Corrupted by deceitful desires. The desires and things that we saw right there in 17 through 19. Corrupted by the deceitful desires to to take them off. To take them off. The problem is, to put on that new self, which we'll eventually, we're going to get to in a second, we've got to take off what we don't want. But we like that old self, don't we? We, we like that old shirt. We, we like that. We, we like that we, because it's comforting to us. And that's what sin's deception does, is it comforts us. And, and, and that's the way it goes, right? It, it, it draws you along, draws you along, baits you in, baits you in, hooks you in. You don't even know it. We're comforted by our sin. Sin is still, of our, is still our friend. And you're never going to take off, put off a friend. That's the blinding things of sin. We must put on. That's why I'm praying, by the way. That's why I'm praying that the Lord reveals to us how we're blind. That He would shed lightness, light in the darkness. So that we can put on yourself. We can, we can put it on. So as you, you took it off, right? You took off the old self. It gives you the new clothes. It's like, like when the prodigal son came home, right? Took off the former slavery. And his father, what did his father do? Put the robe on him. Put that on. Put on, put on the restorative work of the gospel. And be renewed. And be, be renewed. Be renewed in every single spot that sin corrupts. Remember? Sin corrupted the, the mind and the heart. 
the gospel renews that. Renews the mind, right? Renewed in the spirit of your mind. So we're no longer devoid of understanding, but we are now given understanding of the truth that is found in Christ. No longer walking in the futility of our minds, darkened, but given light. And we have this mind. We have this, this, this new mind. This new mind to have, to have eyes to see. And, and ears to, to hear. We've been given a, given a new heart. Right? The, the heart that once was, was hard and is now a, a heart that has been made into flesh. Ezekiel 36. They'll, they'll put it up there for you. One of my favorite passages. Starting in verse 25. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Hello, baptism. Right? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. A new spirit I will put within you. And will cause you to walk how? In my statutes. And to be careful to obey my rules. Because now we have a a new heart. A heart not made of stone, but a heart that is made of flesh. And we've been given a new spirit, the Spirit of God, that enables us now to put on these truths and to believe these truths. To put on these things. So how do we do that? Do we just name it and claim it? Declare it? How How do we do that? Maybe the clothes of your former life is what you're putting on every day. And maybe that's why you don't feel, by the way, how, why you don't feel new is because you're still putting on those former clothes. Trying to make a connection back to the top. We don't feel this way because we've been wearing the same clothes. You've been given the righteousness of Christ, but but you're not putting them on. You're not putting them on daily. So how do we put on and put off? Or when do we put on and put off? It doesn't happen just once. We, we are putting these things on daily. I love the, the terminology that the, the Reformers used, and, and you don't have to memorize this, don't know this exactly, but just understand the meanings. Reformers called this mortification and vivification. Mortification, you can see the words, English word, mortify, mortician, morgue, right? And what does that mean? Death. So to put off, we mortify. We, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. We take off the deeds of the flesh, of the, of, the, of the old self. John Calvin describes mortification through repentance like this. He says, A sorrow and great heart, fear of heart which is conceived by the knowledge of sin and feeling of God's judgment. For when someone is led to the true knowledge of his sin... The old self, that's my parenthesis, he didn't say that, for old self, he then begins to hate it and detest it. When he truly is displeased with himself in his heart and confesses that he is wretched and ashamed and hopes to be different than he is, that's repentance. Mortification starts at repentance. 
Mortification of ourself starts at the repentance. When we see and we feel sin and God's judgment and discipline on our lives, we begin to hate it. We begin to hate sin and detest sin. And we become truly displeased with it. Like you don't want to wear those garments anymore. You ever picked up an old shirt that you wore the day before that you were sweating in like crazy? How'd it feel? Some of the young kids probably still do that, but not good. Even if you know you're going back outside to work, you don't want to wear it. Until we learn to hate it. We learn to hate sin. Like I said earlier, we're we're friends with it. We're, We're friends with it. And we're not going to kill a friend. We're not going to put to death a friend. We're not going to take a friend off and throw it in the closet or throw it in the garbage. We're not going to do that. Because we love it too much. It comforts us. It makes us feel too good about ourselves. To put off the old self is daily dying to yourself and actively killing sin's desires. And that's what repentance does. That's what repentance does. Do not long for the old self. Hate it. Hate it. Detest it. Hate sin every single time. One of the reasons why, I know we all don't like this. I get it. But one of the reasons why deeply I don't like going to funerals because it reminds me of my sin. It reminds me of the fall. It reminds me of, of and then, but a good thing about it, it makes me long for Christ. It makes me long for a renewal that I can finally one day cast off this flesh and see Christ be made completely new. And this is what the Gospel is reminding us to do. To cast off that former life that we would, we would hate sin. We've tolerated it too long. We've tolerated it in our churches. We've tolerated it in our, in our hearts. We've tolerated it in our families. We've tolerated it in our friendships. We've tolerated it too much. We don't know where the line is anymore. We, we've lost it. But I love, I love this because the gospel doesn't leave you just feeling terrible. It doesn't leave you destitute. It doesn't leave you empty. Remember I said it, it restores us. And this is where vivification comes in. Vivification means to, to look to Christ. To vivify Christ. To, to look to Him. To behold Him. Behold him. Calvin continues in his quote. He says, Vivification is the comfort produced by faith. The comfort produced by faith. When a person, ashamed by the consciousness of his sin and struck with fear of God, casts his eyes on God's goodness and mercy, on the grace and salvation which are in Jesus Christ and is what? Comforted and is able to breathe and then takes heart again and practically returns from death to life. To vivify Christ. To set our minds on Christ. Romans 8, 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. To keep that old self on is, is, is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
Colossians chapter 3 gives us even some more. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. What does it say? Set your minds on the things that are above. Not on the things of earth. Set your mind on Christ, not on Netflix. Set your mind on Christ, not sports. Set your mind on Christ and not sin. Set your mind on Christ. Vivify Christ. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Vivification. The put on. Putting on these things. Put these things on. Huh? Put these things by prayer, by meditation, by setting our minds. It's like if we it's like we can't think about it if it's not in a video format. If it's not thirty seconds long, I don't want to see it, you know? Take five minutes and think about Christ. Nobody has ever sinned vivifying Christ. Nobody. We set our minds on Christ through prayer, meditation, reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible. We don't engage in these disciplines anymore. We don't engage in them anymore. We, we, we need to. This is going to help us to put off and to kill the corrupt desires as well as vivify and re- replace those evil desires because when we kick that friend out, we get a greater, more faithful, satisfying, glorifying, joy-finding friend. Those desires are replaced with greater desires. Christ died for our sins. Right? We know this. Christ died for our sins, but we daily die to our sins. Christ took up the cross once for all as a sacrifice for all sins, for our sins, but we daily take up the cross and put our old self to death and we put on the new self. And this requires daily dying. I said this about seven times. Daily dying. These are, these are disciplines that we must return to in the church. Old school things, right? To put on and to put off. To put off and to put on. These things happen together, by the way. To mortify the flesh and to take on Christ. Let me close with this. If we can rely on the gospel to save us, can we rely on the gospel for our daily sanctification? Are you mastered by sin? Are you mastered by sin? Do you take sin seriously? Like I said earlier, you may not look like an Ephesian on the outside, but what about on the inside? The outside is only what's happening on the inside. And I pray by God's mercy and by God's grace that the, the goodness of the gospel has been my hope that as it has reminded you of who you once were, that you're no longer, the, all these things that may, you may be doing, uh, you're, not, you're not that person anymore. 
suffering. You'd be reminded and restored and to, to repent. To detest that sin. To drag it into the light. To mortify it. To do what Calvin said, right? To hate it. To detest it. To vivify Christ. The glory in Him. The glory in the unconditional love and the unconditional grace that He has poured out on us. So that the gospel may restore you this morning. Maybe you've believed the false gospel. Right? Maybe, maybe I shouldn't do what Paul did. Paul assumed. Maybe we shouldn't assume. Maybe you've believed the false gospel. Did you know that you could repent and you could trust in Christ? You could do that this morning, and, and, and then Christ, you know, Christ does. And when he when he's if he's calling you now, what he's going to do is he going to take that heart of stone, a work that only he can do, a work that you never could do, and he's going to make it alive. He can make it alive. We can rely on the gospel. We can use the gospel as a, as a sweet reminder to restore us daily. So I go back to the beginning. You must no longer walk as the world lives or as Gentiles, but put to death sin and take up Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that now as we respond that your word would have its full effect in our lives as we respond to corporately together, that you would be glorified. That you would draw us to mortify our sin, to vivify Christ. That we would see that all of this is driven by your grace. And that, oh God, you would receive all the glory. For all of it is due to you, because it is your work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.